Have your Bibles? I'm in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. I'm kicking off a new series that I'm really excited about. The series is called Suffering Succotash. As I, you heard on the announcement, you know, my wife is going to Israel. She's leaving next Sunday morning. I'm driving up at 6 a.m. to the airport, and I will be suffering. Take my, and my children will be suffering. So uh, I thought, what a perfect time to talk to you about suffering, a little series that we're putting together. <laughs> you know, I just want to give Elizabeth a shout out. You know, she's going to be traveling with an organization called Christians United for Israel. And she's going to be sightseeing. It's her second time going there. Uh, it's an all-expenses-paid trip, and it's an educational tour. I did this tour in 2017. I'm telling you, it is a whirlwind tour. They, they do not let you stop and rest. They keep you going around the clock. And I don't think anyone is more eligible to go on that trip than my wonderful, sweet wife. And uh, I'm just so blessed she gets to go. So we are praying for you. Praying that the Lord will keep you and, and uh, praying that you'll come home quickly and safely. <laughs> um, I, we're just humble. What a great opportunity. So, you know, speaking of um, Israel, um, I'm going to have an interest meeting uh, for a potential tour to Israel ourselves. I've been there twice. And, uh, you know, the, the world is on fire. It's a, it's a chaotic moment. And I thought when I went 2013, I may never have the opportunity to go again. I got to go again in 2017 with Kufi, and uh, you know, if if it, uh, we'll see what the interest is. If you want to go, uh, come back in the fellowship hall. We'll talk about it, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. But it could be a great opportunity if you've never been there. I know it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a wonderful thing for your spiritual development. All right, First Peter chapter two, and uh, I want to read verse 20 through 24. I want to set the scene for our series this morning. Here's what the Bible says. He said, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example, that you should follow in his steps. It says, committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we who died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. I pray it would be impacting. I pray it would mature and strengthen. You would use the right perspectives about life. I pray, God, that you would use me. Uh, to, to really just highlight some things that are in your heart today. So we pray that in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen and amen. Um, you know, Elizabeth, my sweet wife, I'm going to miss you going away for, you know, 12 days. I suppose it's only fair. You know, I was just gone. So uh, 2017, I got to go uh, to Israel with the pastors. Uh, and, um, you know, when you're on a bus full of pastors, there are a lot of theological discussions that take place. And... Um, I felt like, you know, I really grew to a spot where I was needing patience for people. <laughs> Being on a tour with pastors from all over the place, like the guy from Spokane that drove me nuts. Uh, we, we got through it. <laughs> so when I think about suffering, the first thing that comes to my mind is patience. Uh, I'm an impatient person. And of course, I say, you know, that's like suffering in jest, because the truth about it is, in my experience, pastoring all these years, you want to know what I think? I think Christians, especially charismatic Christians, lack a theology about suffering. 
Now, I, I thought that was a great statement. So I asked my friend Ted Shuttlesworth, who's a powerhouse preacher. I said, Ted, what do you think about that statement? And he said, I agree with you. It's a funny thing. Suffering is a major theme in the Bible, but it is neglected. And I want to look at verse 20 here. He said, what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But he said, if you do good and suffer, someone say, do good and suffer. And if you take it patiently, he said, this is commendable before God. Now, I looked up the word suffering. It's the same word used in, Peter uses it like 12 times. It's used throughout the scripture. Suffering uh, is really anything that hurts or irritates. It's the Greek word pasco. And, you know, that word suffering is a broadly defined word. It's like the word love or like the word judgment. I mean, there's a lot of different connotations that can be put into that word. So, you know, there's levels to people's suffering they go through. Some You ever wonder, some people seem like they suffer more than other people's, and we could talk about that. But as I said, suffering is a major biblical topic. And as I said, it's neglected. But when you look at characters of the Bible, like Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet, because of the things that he went through when the city of Jerusalem was under siege, or John the Baptist, who was beheaded for speaking truth to Herod, you could think about Stephen, the first martyr of the church, and of course, we just got through Holy Week. We talked about the Lord's passion and his suffering and everything he went through. And I had a very interesting encounter at the beginning of the year when I was in Washington, D.C. and had the chance to go over there. I met a man named Andrew Brunson. And Andrew Brunson was in the news because he was a pastor in Turkey. And the Turkish government was really having a crackdown. President Erdogan in Turkey is becoming increasingly authoritarian, hostile towards Christianity. They put him in jail and they accused him of espionage. And it took President Trump to blow the whole place up for that guy to get back. And so he came back to America, and, and he travels and tells people about his experiences. And I got to go up and meet with him, and I was pretty surprised by what he told me. You know, he, he was super sincere. He told me that the suffering he'd been through just about ruined his relationship and faith in God. He said it was an extremely painful, horrible thing to go through. He was beaten, and he recommended a book that, that I read. Uh, by a man named Richard Wombrin. I'll talk about that here later. Uh, but he said he feels like many people in Western churches in America are unprepared if they had to suffer through something. He said the only thing that kept him was his intimate relationship with God. So it was an interesting conversation I had with the man. And it, it really kind of you know, spurred me. I, I felt like I've had uh, a word stirring in my heart now uh, for several months about this. And today what I want to highlight are four truths about trials. And this is kind of like the scoop on suffering, uh, things that you know, you, you're going to need to glean from in your life. Now, I was looking for material on, where do, you know, on suffering, and I found one of the greatest resources from one of my favorite preachers, a man named Kenneth E. Hagan, Dad Hagan, who is the founder of the Word of Faith movement. He wrote a book on suffering, and he said the truth about suffering is that nobody wants to talk about it, but it is, does happen. Yeah, so... I want to just walk through for Peter here. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 24. It says that Jesus bore our sin in his body on the tree. You know, if you study the crucifixion, you'd find out that the sin of the world came upon Jesus. And his, his body actually was transformed because of the burden of sin that came on him. It tells us that we, if we identify with Jesus, uh, we have died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. I like that. Here's truth number one. Suffering 
does not mean sickness. Now, I know pastors who teach this. They teach that God will put sickness on people as if it was like a gift. And I'm just here to tell you, no, he does not. He's not schizophrenic. There are not verses of the Bible which says, by your stripes you're healed. Matthew 8, 17 says that he took our infirmities and bore our sickness. You know, Acts 10, 38 says Jesus, when it was anointed by God, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the express representation of God's likeness. In other words, if you want to see the will of God on display, look no further than the life of Jesus who was going around healing people wherever he went. And it's it's a wild thing to me. Suffering does not mean sickness. And yet I know people who will say that their sickness is a gift from God. I'm telling you, it was so sad. I had a friend. He died. And his dad put on Facebook, and this guy was precious. He was an old man. He was a wonderful guy. And his dad put on Facebook, he said, I don't know why God gave my son this gift of a disease that killed him. He, He doesn't use that. I'm just telling you, that that is not... Like, in God's heart to do that. He doesn't use that. Uh, the Bible tells us to pray for the sick. James chapter 5, verse 14, Is there any sick among you? Call for the elders of the church and lay hands on them and anoint them with oil, and the Lord will save the sick from his deathbed. That's, or from, from his sickbed. That's what it says. So I got oil today. We can pray for you if you want. You know, Jesus was moved with compassion, and he prayed for the sick. And, yeah, you know, I, I just... Pray for the sick. Every chance I get, I, I pray for them. Now, not everyone gets healed when you pray for them. But that doesn't stop me from praying for people. I, I pray for people whenever they're sick, whenever they have a chance. And, you know, I had a dad who died at 54. We prayed that he would live. He died when he was 54. I had a mother who had an aneurysm at 69. And she's in the 1% of people who have no side effects. And I remember they called me in the middle of the night. And, and uh, they said, you know, your, your, your mother uh, has had an aneurysm. They're life-flying her to Salt Lake. And, of course, you know, your emotions start raging. You start running. I, I prayed right there on the phone in the moment. I went and woke up my wife. Elizabeth, you know, she prayed all night. I went back to bed. You can ask Elizabeth. I, I was like, well, I just believe God will heal my mom. I mean, because I had prayed it, and this is a joke. I said, God, you know, you can't have, have me have three children and can't take away my babysitter. <laughs> but I... I'm so grateful for that. But I, I'm just telling you that the Lord is a healer. I just knew my mom would be all right, that God w- would heal her. Uh, you know, sickness, God doesn't use sickness to punish people. He doesn't use it to teach people. He, he, he's not an angry, vindictive God in that way. He, he said, by your stripes, he wants to heal you. Now, I have seen people who maybe they get sick or have an affliction in their body, and it will turn them to the Lord. Like, remember Romans 2, it says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So I have seen moments where maybe you're going through a trial, a struggle, and people seek the Lord through it. But God is not the author of confusion. I don't want you to be confused. He does not put sickness on people to teach them. And it's the goodness of God that turns a person's heart. I'm just here to tell you that when you look at sickness or you look at suffering, that that, that God is not behind those things. He, He said here in this verse, by his stripes you were healed. That's, I take it at face value. Now, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to give you a second thought. You know, Peter had more to say about suffering than just about any place I could find in the Bible. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 4, 5, verse 15. He said, Let none of you suffer 
That's the same word used in every verse in Peter on suffering. Same word. So don't suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody. That means a gossip, like you're walking around talking about other people. He said, don't suffer that way. Now, here's the second truth for you about suffering. This one's pretty hot to handle. Some people suffer unnecessarily. They suffer the consequences of their own behavior. Sometimes they suffer from their own stupidity. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, that's what I said. Don't suffer as a murderer, thief, and evildoer. I mean, I think about people in the Bible. Balaam was warned not to prophesy against Israel. And he got killed for doing that. Later on, you read he was killed. Or we could talk about you know, King Saul, who the Bible says was unfaithful to the Lord. I could think about Jonah. He did not want to you know, prophesy in Nineveh, and so he went on a deep-sea fishing vacation, got himself thrown overboard. That wasn't anyone's fault but his own. You know, in, in the New Testament, you, know, you could think about how Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That was a self-inflicted problem. Not all suffering can be blamed upon the Lord. Now, he is a soft target. It's easy to blame problems and things you don't know about on God. I, I mean, that pe- people will think, well, I'm in this situation, this try how I get here, it must be God's fault, and, and they get frustrated. But as we just said, we read verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in someone else's matter. See, some people suffer because of sin. They, they, they suffer the consequences of their own wrongdoing. I feel super qualified to teach this message this morning. I mean, I have done so many dumb things and had to face the consequences of it. I, I, don't, I mean, some people get, you know, DUIs, and, 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 and that's on them. They go to prison because they was dealing drugs. And it's fun to blame God for those things, but guess what? He was the one that did it. I mean, pe- people suffer because of poor choices, bad decision-making. It's a funny thing with people. Easy to blame God. Like one time... I had this guy that I went to who was my friend, and I wanted to buy carpet from him. You've heard me talk about that. My wife warned me, don't buy carpet from that man. And he took $5,000 of our money and left. I should have listened to my wife. I made a bad decision. Am I going to blame God for that? Uh, You know, uh, people suffer because of ignorance. Hosea chapter 4, it tells us that some people perish for lack of knowledge. You know, I've gotten tickets... And I've been like, yeah, I didn't see that stop sign. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. It just means somebody was ignorant. I didn't know the speed limit. That's ignorance. And, and for that, there is a consequence. I have to pay the fine. I have to appear before the judge. And you know where people suffer from a lot in life? Sometimes people suffer with something called self-pity. Self-pity is a self-inflicted problem you brought on yourself. Ooh, I heard a lot of <laughs> hit a lot of people with that one. I found out about self-pity. It's usually you that's the problem. I mean, it, it's an amazing thing when you get down. And so I'll get down and I have to work to pull myself up, man. I don't want to stay down in a depressed funk all day long, all week long. I fight for it. You know what I do? I let it get with God in my mind. An answer to what the devil is throwing at me. An answer to that self-pity. And then I let it get in my heart. I say it out of my mouth. And it's amazing. That's how you got to fight your battles when the devil comes at you. When self-pity starts getting on you and you get down, you've got to get a Bible verse and just chew it and meditate on it. It's the helmet of salvation around you. And that would save you a lot of self-inflicted problems. 
So I watch people all the time walk around blaming problems in life. It's because they need to just get in the scriptures. <laughs> oh, the other one I like is when people say, I need this devil cast out of me. You know, what you need to do is discipline your flesh. Now, that's amazing to me how that's an easy one. So some people do suffer unnecessarily. Don't blame God for it. Look at maybe the consequences that you brought upon yourself. I'm just teaching you some common sense here. All right, now, number three. Uh, the next verse, a third thought uh, 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 in our theological discussion about trials. 1 Peter 4, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian. We got any Christians in the house this morning? So it says that it happens to Christians. He said, let him not be ashamed, but instead let him glorify God in this matter. Yeah. Now, you want to know why people suffer? Here's a thought. Some people suffer for the sake of the ministry. Suffering as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in this matter. Everybody has a ministry. And I like to think that everyone can be a minister. Every member of our church should be a minister. You've got gifts and talents that God has placed within you, and he expects that you use those things for his glory. He expects that you use what he's put in your heart to do things for him. You've called to serve the Lord in a capacity. In fact, if you jump just up a few verses and you look at 1 Peter 4.10, he said, as each one has received a gift, let him minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So he's telling you, you have a gift, you're supposed to use that as a minister. But if I have learned anything in the short time that I have been uh, in ministry, pastoring people, you know what I've learned? I have learned that you are going to get criticized. Oh, it's the truth. You're going to suffer criticisms. Certain things you'll suffer. Like, I remember one time I was criticized because people told me I was fake nice. Not really nice, but fake nice. I was like, no, screw you, man. I am that nice. I was like, I was like what? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm telling you, either you get misunderstood, which happens to clowns like myself, or you lack self-awareness. And sometimes the criticism is warranted. Yeah. You know what people do? They, they, they criticize the ministry you might have. Oh, they'll say, I, I wish you did it more this way. Or I, I wish you had this particular gift. Or I wish you were better at this. Or, and, and that happens to me. It happens to you. And that's just people. Because you know how you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer criticism. You will also suffer relationally sometimes with people. Just read your Bible about the people Paul and Peter were traveling with. You know, the thing I've learned about people in churches is that sheep will bite you. And so I have had to learn, you just, sometimes you just have to be careful when it comes to people. And it's taken me a long time to figure out how to approach and navigate because there are some situations that can be very painful. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Pastor Dick DeWert in Canada. He's 70 years old. He's been there, done that, seen everything. And he said the greatest pain in ministry is the pain of betrayal. I have been through that. But he said that's a pain that was lasting, and it happens in, in, in the lives of people. And if, you, if you've ever tried to minister to people in situations, you know it can happen. So, you know, you could suffer relationally. Here's another reason you might suffer for the sake of ministry. Because God, in his sovereignty and providence, might just call you to a difficult place. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. It said he went bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. God called him to do something difficult. And don't put it past him to ask you to do that. He'll do that. I mean, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Mark's gospel said he was driven there. He was literally pushed into that difficult place. 
You know, the thing about missionary work, traveling, it seems glamorous to people. I'm telling you, it is not easy. And I know that because I've done a couple of them now. We were just in Pakistan. As most of you know, I spent a little over a week over there. And that was not easy. I mean, it was not a vacation. Um, it, it, it was like, man, sometimes you're, you're in these moments where God puts you in a difficult spot. And you know what was really hard was when I came home and I was greeted like a celebrity to children mobbing me, running at me, Dad, Dad, we love you, we miss you. And then they said, don't ever do that again. You know, I missed you. And kicking me in the legs. <laughs> but we you know when you travel like that, it, it, it can be a, a difficult thing. You're away from your family. And, and you know, I mean, I, I think about like how you might have a job you don't like. God might have opened a door for you to be in a place you're not really happy with. I had a job. It was a great job when I just graduated from high school, but it was hard. It intimidated me. I had people making fun of me because they found out I was going to be a preacher. I was in a lumberyard somewhere. If you want to get some hair in your chest, just go to a lumberyard and tell people you want to be a pastor. You'll hear every name in the book thrown at you, and you got to smile at them, wave at them. But you know what God did? He matured me in that. He grew me in that. My confidence grew. I remember when Elizabeth and I had to pay off a student loan debt, and it took 24 months of us just going after it, after it, after it, but we got it paid. And I learned perseverance in that. And the truth of the matter is that God very often will put you in a difficult place and you may not understand it, but that's what he calls you to do. And the Bible says if that happens, you ought to glorify God in this manner. He might call you to something difficult. Deal with it. Then you know how else you're going to suffer. Keep a finger here. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. You're going to suffer spiritual warfare. It says he walks around like a... 5, 8. Your adversary, the devil, O slewfoot, says he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so the Bible says to resist him, uh, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, someone say sufferings, are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know, it's a funny thing to me when people tell me, you don't know what I'm going through. It's like, I, I, I'm the only one who's ever been through this trial. I just read to you, everybody in the world gets to suffer certain things. It's, it's experienced by your brothers and sisters in the Lord across the world. Like, you're not alone. And what Satan does is he likes to pick off stragglers. That's why he's like a lion. He's hunting people who are not in fellowship, disconnected, down, depressed, at the back of the wagon. That, that's who he'll pick off. And every person, if you're ever going to do anything for the Lord, if he's called you to something, there, there's going to be a battle you have to go through. You're going to face opposition and warfare. Look at verse number 10. 1 Peter 5.10, May the God of all grace, who called us by his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, that means mature, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You know, maturity is formed when you are tested. Yeah. That, that, like, you have faith that gets you through things, but sometimes those trials, those difficult things that you go through are the very things that God uses to help grow a person and mature them. Man, I think about things that I have been through that used to stress me out, when I was younger, and now I go through them, and I'm like, nah, I've been in this moment before. I know what God will do. I know he'll come through. I know he's with me. I don't have to get down by it. I'm not discouraged. He's right there with me in the middle of it. And that has matured me and grown me and given me comfort. And it's because I know the devil is a liar and a cheater. And he, yeah, man. Ah, I'm just telling you that God, if, you, if you've got a ministry in your heart, you will go through difficult trials and hardships, but God knows how to bring you out, man, if you just hold on to Him. So sometimes you suffer for the sake of God 
calling you to do something in your ministry. Now, let me give you another thought here. And I'm in the next verse, First Peter, down to verse number 19. First Peter 4, 19. He said, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Now, that is a mysterious verse. Suffer according to the will of God. Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Hard truth number four about trials. Sometimes you suffer for the will of God. I mean, that is an interesting verse. In case you don't believe it, I want to draw your attention to 1 Peter 3.17, which says it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. We have two verses where it directly tells us that suffering sometimes can be linked to the will of God. When we talk about suffering for the will of God, you know what you're talking about? is sharing in, Christ, in Jesus' suffering. You're sharing in Christ's own suffering, the things that he went through. I'm not talking sickness. I'm not talking disease. I'm not talking temptations or the product of your own choices. I'm talking to you about what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, that anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what the scripture said. Now, I was in a meeting recently, well, it was about five or six years ago with a man named Jay Sekulow. You hear him on the radio, uh, American Center for Law and Justice. And he made a statement I'll never forget. He said, Christians uh, are not so much persecuted today in America as much as they are picked on. They get, they get picked on. But as he said, and I'll tell you, the temperature is rising. I mean, you can feel it in the world. There, there, is, there is a growing conflict of kingdoms, and you can sense that there's opposition rising to people who claim the name of Christ. I'm just telling you where it's at in the world. Now, you, chances are you're going to get picked on and, you know, if you haven't been already picked on. Now, I, uh, <laughs> I had to laugh because my son, he's so precious, man. We went for a walk. He wanted to go for a walk with me. And, you know, we're walking, and, and he started to open up his heart. And he, he, uh, he said, Dad, he said, some, some of the older kids at school, he goes to school right over here across the street. He said, some of the kids in junior high are, are teasing me. They're picking on me. And I said, I said, Really? Why is that? He said, well, they call me the little Christian kid. You know, I don't know if you know Titus, but he's very outspoken. And he prays for people all, every chance he gets. He prayed for Elizabeth. She said that she, her back got healed doing that. <laughs> Has he prayed for you at the doorway yet? I got people nodding heads at me. They'll, they'll meet him back there. He'll pray for me. He loves to tell people about the Lord. He tells his classmates about it. They haven't shut him down yet. <laughs> anyway, he said that the older kid said, hey, Christian kid, you need to stop preaching and go do drugs. That's what I told him. I said, Titus, how'd that make you feel? And he said, oh, Dad, those guys are just idiots. I said, that's my boy. I had to laugh, though, because, you know, when I was his age, I didn't have that in me. I was more insecure. And I remember being in second grade specifically when I started really feeling the effects of peer pressure. Either Titus is super socially awkward or very secure. We'll pray that he's secure. <laughs> so you're going to get picked on. And, you know, when I... Think about persecution in the world. On that way back from Pakistan, I had the opportunity of a lifetime to visit what's called the Eternal City, the city of Rome. I've been to Israel. Israel is about the Bible. But you know what Rome is about? It's the early church and the suffering they went through. And I want to just rem remind you that Christianity was founded by people who shed their blood for it. So I got to visit places where I, I was just enthralled by what I saw historically. The first place we visited was the Mamertine prison. 
And, and that, that's a prison where Paul and Peter are both kept. Now, you see the picture I have up there. That, that little hole up there is where they let them down by ropes. It, it was a prison cell, and you could see where the chains were along the wall, where they had them strapped. This could be the place that Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy. I mean, this is a place historically where they were before they were killed. From there, we went through a place called the Appian Way, which is by the catacombs. And the Appian Way is this road, all roads lead to Rome, and that's where they put Christians up on poles, crucified them, lit them on fire on the roads to Rome so that everyone would see that Rome is a secular city. We don't want to be influenced by these people. And the Christians decided the best place to meet would be right next to that road where all the corpses were and, and, and underground in the graves. See, in, in that area of the world, you can dig very easily. And so we went to the underground church that was set up right there. Now, it was an interesting thing looking at the catacombs. They, they did tell me not to take a picture of the catacombs. I apologize. I did. I want to show you. Someone that, that we are asking, why are there like, like little? Why are some of the grave sides small? Lots of little ones. And that's because at that time, most of the deaths were people under the age of five. So you want to talk about suffering in the world. Be grateful you're born in the time you're born. In, in the ancient world, People died in, very often early in life. And of course, after that, we had the chance to go to the Colosseum, which was spectacular. I mean, just being there, and they downplay it. They say, oh, Christians were martyred there, but it wasn't, you know, like the only thing, that <laughs> the only people that got killed. Uh, on the floor of that, you see there's like little holes everywhere. They actually had elevators, and they would have people rise up, and you had no idea what you're coming up into, and as soon as it was opened up, you were met with a lion. And Fox's Book of Martyr is filled with the stories of people in, in Christianity who were killed for their faith. And I, I just wanted to remind you about those things. I mean, persecution is real in the world. It happened in the early church. And in case you get you know, upset and mad at the president that we have today or the government we have, I just want to remind you that Joe Biden, while he may not be the sharpest crayon in the box, is not the emperor uh, Caligula. He's not Nero out killing people. It's crazy to say he's like that. He's, he's not doing that. You think about like how the early church survived with the government working against them, actively trying to kill them. I mean, it, it is a, an incredible hour in the world that we're living in. When I think about the persecution in the world, it's rising. So other nations, we were in India. In India, they have had to like shut down you know, mass meetings. You, you can't gather. That was not that way 10 years ago. The government there has cracked down. We went to, uh, in Dubai on the way there in Pakistan, a super moderate Muslim country, and they say you can gather. You can meet in, indoors. You cannot have outdoor crusades there. They have rules that you have to follow, and, and especially when it comes to Christianity. It, you know, it, it's, it's just rising. Now, when I met Andrew Brunson, we talked about this book by a man named Richard Wombrun. Have you ever heard of Richard Wombrun? He was a man in 1956 who was an underground church pastor, and he got put in prison for preaching and, and, and smuggling Bibles. And he spent eight years in prison. He got out for a little while, and then he did it again. He got another five and a half years, 14 years of his life in prison, which he called a light affliction in the eyes of God. Now, this man in his book was beaten they used to hang him and swing him around and beat him with rods. He was, you know, did horrible things to him. They put him in freezers where they almost died, and they would shiver next to nails. He told the stories of how children were killed 
while they would, you know, be in front of their parents trying to deny the faith. And, and I'm just telling you that this has happened in the world. And a lot of times we sit over here in Western, you know, countries with freedom and we get very soft and very lukewarm and, and never do understand that people have suffered a great deal for the faith. Sometimes it's according to the will of God, which is a strange and sad thing people have to go through. So I ask the question, if that sometimes is the case, what are you going to do about it? Like the verse said, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. Think about what this verse says right here. Commit your soul to the Lord. Commit your way to him. Proverbs 16 says, Psalm 37 says, when you commit your way to him, uh, you, you, like th that means you're serving him, you're living for him. Now, I have found out in the last you know, little while here, there's really no other purpose to live in life. There's no other meaning. There's nothing else that matters. The only thing I care about is God and his kingdom. I, I mean, what other purpose do you have to live for? The houses that you have, the equity you're trying to build, the retirement you're so excited about, it's all going to burn up one day. There's only one thing that will stand up, and that's what you've done for the Lord. His king, that, that's, that's the stuff I'm talking about, committing your soul to the Lord. Because at the end of the day, nothing else matters but what you've done for him. What, what are you going to do about it in these days in which we live? You know what you got to do? You got to be vocal. You got to speak up. You got to vote. You should not be afraid to share your faith with people. Take every opportunity you can to be a witness. That's also mentioned here in the book of Peter. Don't be afraid in the public square to speak up for truth. I, I go to school board meetings. If you come what I think, I'm very watchful to make sure the right stuff is taking place. In, in public settings, you want to be vocal with you as you can about your faith. Do it respectfully, but don't be afraid to be vocal. Otherwise, you might lose freedoms that you have. You know what else you got to do? You got to pray for America. Now, we got something going on here, the National Day of Prayer. That's coming up May the 4th. They asked me, I prayed last year. They asked me to pray again this year. But I said, Elizabeth's coming back that day from Israel. And I just want to be with her. I haven't seen her for all those two weeks. And I got to push the kids back over to her. So <laughs> I, won't, I won't be able to make it this year, but it's going to be on the... Uh, 4th of May, and I'm just telling you, man, there's more than 7,000 righteous people in America. We've got to pray for America. There's never been a greater time to pray for this nation. And I mean, the, the world is in a very precarious place. I'm grateful that I read the Bible and I know what happens. But I'm telling you, we've got to pray for America. You know, the only thing that stopped Jesus from not coming back yet is the long-suffering of the Lord, 2 Peter 3.10. He's patient because his long-suffering is his salvation. And he wants souls to come into the kingdom. That's what he's after. That's the only purpose we have. That we're, we're here in this moment to make a difference in the lives of people. I'm just glad that God is more patient than I am with people. Can I get a witness? I mean, I, I'm grateful about that. But what about you, man? What's the truth of the matter in the situation you're faced with? Maybe you have sickness in your body. I'll pray for you. I got some oil up here. I was in Pakistan in, in a church with Muslim, precious Muslim people everywhere that have Muslim backgrounds. And I felt like I should pray for people's backs. And in the back of the uh, place, a man with a tumor was healed, praying in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, God, Pakistan, and the reason is because we prayed in Jesus' name. And God can do that here like he can do that there. He can pray. We want to pray for you. He can heal your body. Um, maybe you're um, in a trial and... Um, you're suffering a consequence of it. You'd like to blame God for it. But you may have to just wise up to the fact that 
No, it's actually self-inflicted. Maybe that means that you got to get wiser or repent of something or identify it. Don't get caught up in a funk where you are blaming something else for you know, the trial you're in. You could be in a trial. Just, just deal with it. You know, I mean, I have said some stupid things to my wife that I've had to suffer the consequences for. I've, I've uh, bought things I should not have. I've eaten things that I should not have. Um, but the Lord has always been good to me, and he delivered me. He'll deliver you if you call on his name. It just means that you got to be self-aware. Or maybe God has called you to a difficult place, and, and you get mad about it, but don't perceive that it's because God is trying to change things and work something in your life. There's maybe a difficulty you're faced with, a trial you're in. And it could be that God's got you there because he wants things to change. He, he want, he's using you to bring an answer to something. Mm. I mean, that's part of the mysteries of God, how amazing he is. You, you might be in a difficult spot, but you don't have it as bad as my friend Stephen Curry. Elizabeth's going to meet Stephen in a few weeks. I met him in Israel. Stephen Curry pastors the largest Arab church in Jerusalem. And Stephen told all of his pastors when I met him, he fully expects to die for his faith as a martyr like his uncle George did on the Mount of Olives not afraid about it. That's just the place he's ministering. I'm just telling you, God might have you in a difficult spot, but the battle might be just in your mind. Let's take a moment and pray. Mm, I feel the strengthening hand of the Lord. Mm. Father, I just thank you. These precious people want to grow in their faith. Thank you for the right perspectives about life. Lord, I just thank you. for your hand of growing us. and I pray the Spirit of the Lord would give us wisdom and insight. In fact, you know, I feel like I feel like there's people in trials right now. God wants to deliver you from this trial. So if you feel like you're in some type of trial this morning, I'd like you to stand up just across this room. If you're in a difficult place, you're going through something difficult in your family, I just want to invite you to stand up. If there's something weighing on you or you're in a tough spot, there's a trial that's taking place, just stand up. I want to just play over you. In Jesus' name. Yeah, look at that. Father, in Jesus' name. I just thank you for total healing in this family. Father, I thank you for Kyle's life. Strengthen him. Bless him head to toe. I thank you for strengthening Linda. In the name of Jesus. So I bless, I bless these people. Lord, I thank you for your hand with them. Thank you that you're walking us through things. Thank you that you're moving us forward. Thank you, Father, for your hand of grace. I pray, Lord, for relationships coming back together. I pray for healing of people's bodies. Lord, I thank you for breakthroughs. I thank you for financial provision. I thank you for the wisdom of God to know what to do in situations. Lord, I just thank you that your hand is at work, healing them, working on them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Hey, these sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah you can be seated here. I, I just want to conclude here with one last story in this book I was reading by Richard Rumbrin. And, you know, he'd been put in prison. He was put in prison for preaching. And then they would beat him up for preaching, and he'd preach more. So he said one day in that cell alone, a a communist soldier came to him and said, Richard, comrade, why don't you give up this stupid faith of yours? Why don't you, you know, stop being a Christian? It's, it's It's a worthless endeavor. And from his prison cell, Richard said, well... I have seen innumerable communists and atheists on their deathbeds regret 
that they never did live for the Lord, never did live for Christ. But he said, you know, I've never seen is an atheist communist, or I've never seen, a, excuse me, I've never seen a Christian who said, I wish I would have followed Lenin or Marx. I, I, and the, the comrade said that was a very clever answer. So I ask you at the end of your life, what are you going to have regrets about? Are you going to have regrets that you followed the Lord? Or are you going to have regrets that you didn't follow him? That's a great question to ask, man. And maybe, you're, maybe there's a regret in this room. Maybe you realize I'm not as close to him as I could be. I need to be closer to him. I want to live without any regrets because I'm telling you the hour's late. And you better be on your game and ready to meet the Lord when you can. These are the days we're living in. So every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're not right with the Lord, if you think you could live with regret, I want to just give you a chance to put a hand up and pray. Ask the Lord to come in your heart. Walk straight on the path with him down the straight and narrow because he's worth it. I see that hand. So just just follow me in this prayer. Say, Father God, I want to walk with you. I want to run after you. And I don't want any regrets. I want to stay focused and firm. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin, cleanse my conscience, and come into my heart. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that and you're sincere, God can turn everything around. He'll give you a heart to press after him. And he will do that if you, if you fall after him. Man, you know, I, I just feel God's presence in this house. And I, I sense that, uh, that there's a yearning in God's people to grow closer to him. That's a precious, precious thing. Uh, I'd like you to stand up. And I want to dismiss by, by praying for people. Um, James chapter 5, man. I got me some oil from Israel. Elizabeth will get some more in Israel next week if I run out. So. If you want prayer for healing in your body, I want to pray with you. If, if it's, you know, someone that you know, I'll pray with you. But I, I just tell you, don't stop praying, man, believing that God can heal his people. I specifically want to pray for sick people today. So I'd love to pray for you if you've got a condition in your body. We will do that. Uh, I love you all very much. Invite someone out to church, man. It's great to see you. Give my wife a kiss and pray for her on the way out, man. She's the greatest wife. She has to come back or we will be in real trouble. But we really will be suffering. I love you all very much, man. We'll catch you next week. Lonnie, if you could put some uh, worship music on, I want to just lay hands on people for whoever might need it. Amen.